This morning's passage comes to us from a part of the Bible that most of us are familiar with if we spend any time in church and Sunday school, Genesis 2 through 3, and it is the story of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Paradise. The particular part I will read comes from the third chapter, verses 1 through 9, and I pray that God will open up to us an understanding of this word. The serpent was clever, more clever than any wild animal God had made. He spoke to the woman, do I understand that God told you not to eat from the tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, not at all. We can eat from the trees in the garden. It's only about the tree in the middle of the garden that God said, don't eat from it. Don't even touch it or you will die. The serpent told the woman, you won't die. God knows that the moment you eat from that tree, you'll see what's really going on. You'll be just like God, knowing everything, ranging all the way from good to evil. When the woman saw that the tree looked like good eating and realized what she would get out of it, she'd know everything. She took and ate the fruit and then gave some to her husband, and he ate. Immediately, the two of them did see what's really going on. They saw themselves naked. They sewed fig leaves together as makeshift clothes for themselves, and when they heard the sound of God strolling in the garden in the evening breeze, the man and his wife hid in the trees of the garden, hid from God. God called to the man, where are you? This is the word of the Lord. I want to tell you about a Hebrew word that comes from the Bible that may be one of the ugliest words I know. The word is kriah. It means to tear one's clothes. It refers to the act of ripping your clothes or rending them as a striking expression of grief for the loss of a loved one or anger and disownership. The word itself is almost an onomatopoeia. It's a terrible sound tearing. It is a Hebrew rite of separation. In an ancient tradition, when the patriarch Jacob believed his son Joseph was dead, he tore his garments. In 2 Samuel, we are told that King David and all the men with him took hold of their clothes and rent them upon hearing the death of Saul and Jonathan. Job, too, grieving for his children. The act of Kriya was not only for those who had died, it was also for those, as far as you were concerned, you wish were dead. When a daughter or son dishonors the family, rip. A brother commits dreadful sin, rip. 
When Jesus was being set up in the temple the night before his crucifixion, being interrogated by the religious authorities there, they kept hammering on him, are you the Messiah, the one that is expected to come? Are you the Messiah? And Jesus didn't want to answer the question because he knew they would misinterpret it. But finally he consented and said, yes, I am. And at that point, the chief priest took his clothes and ripped them, rented them, Kriya, saying, why do we still need witnesses? He, the blasphemy, the the blasphemer, that's not the right word, he has blasphemed. Therefore, we know what must happen. Kriya, it's over. Final. The English word that is similar to kriya is split. It is an ugly word, too. My parents split up when I was 12, my mother told me and my siblings one day, feeling that awful pain and grief and shame she had felt since 1938, when divorce and the shame that came with it was almost unheard of. She only told us because we didn't understand how our grandfather could be married to Aunt Dorothy while our grandmother, Ambu, lived close to my mom. They split up, she said. Kriya. At a presbytery meeting a while back, a minister friend came up to me and announced that we were leaving the denomination, splitting off, Why, I ask, I sort of already knew. Because the church I joined is no longer the church that is mine, he said. And what he really meant was the political and theological views that were, as he said, present in the church today, were far apart from how it used to be, how it was before. And the only alternative to that is to split off even though he made a vow in his ordination to always support the church that ordained him. It's a split. We used to say, let's split this joint, which was a favorite way to express our disdain, either toward the place or the people who inhabited it. It was an insult. To split means things will never be the same. It's over And you can't put Humpty Dumpty back together again. All of us know what it feels like. If not personally, then certainly politically, corporately, and even deep down existentially in our hearts, in our bones. We all know what it feels like to be split. It is It is the experience that comes from being separated from God. This morning I want to tell you a story. It's actually a story we all know, any of us who went to Sunday school. And no matter our generation, our race, our religion, our orientation, it is a story as true now and for us as it has ever been 
true for every human being. It was true, it is true, and it will be true, ever shall be. And although it is not so much factually true or historically true or literally true, it is nevertheless ultimately true in the wisdom sense. It's the story I just read from the Bible. It's part saga and part legend and part mythology and part parable. And it was written not to answer the question of how things happened, but why and what next. It's more like a once upon a time story, a one time long ago story. Out of the earth, God reached down and grabbed a handful of clay and molded it into the first human being, Adam from the dirt, Adamah. And in that mold, God looked at it and saw that it was good and then exhaled his breath into that mold and there was life, there was animation. That that mold inhaled the breath of God and was energized. And God took that man now, Adam, and placed him in this new creation of incredible beauty and substance. And God said to that man, your job is to name all of the animals, where he ever came up with rhinoceros and hippopotamus. He certainly had an imagination. And not only to name them, but to steward them, to care for them. And your job is to enjoy them too. All of that is yours. Everything here is yours, except for one thing. There's a tree in the middle of the garden, the tree of goodness and evil, and you're not to eat of it, nor are you should touch it, or you shall die. The man did what God said. He named all the animals. He enjoyed it all, but he was still lonely. He felt estranged and separated from himself. He needed a partner, and so God put the man to sleep. We know the story. Took out his rib, and from that rib created woman. The man called her woman since she was from him, the man. And now with that unity, that partnership, the man said, truly flesh of my flesh, bone of my bones, I have now come to see that we are one together. One day while the woman was walking by herself, she came into contact with the serpent. It's not meant to be the devil, it's just he's the messenger. And they began to talk, and the serpent tested her and said, you know, see that tree over there, how beautiful it is? You need to, you need to take a bite. No, she said, uh-uh. God said we're not supposed to eat it nor touch it or we will die. And the serpent says, you won't die. Now they're whispering. They don't want Adam to hear it or God. You won't die. You'll just know fully what God knows. You'll be God-like. Convinced of that, she ate, she bit. She handed it to Adam, he bit. And at that point, they were both bitten. Kriya, split. Immediately, everything changed. Their own relationship that was before, completely open and vulnerable with no shame, no pretense, nothing hidden, 
Now they see each other exposed, vulnerable, naked, their woundedness. They were so ashamed of it that they had to sew fig leaves together to cover their shame. Their relationship with the garden, from now on, God said, because of this, you will work with great hardness and difficulty and women will give birth painfully, laboriously, labor. With God, God walks in the garden at the end of the day for a little cocktail conversation and they are hiding behind the trees because they are so ashamed of what they have done. That relationship now split Now what? God said to them, because you have done what you did, I will not take your life an act of grace, but you will no longer be allowed back into the garden. From now on, you will live your life east of Eden. And they went on with life, just like we go on with life, as if that's the way it should be, as if Nothing happened. We go on with life, doing our thing. Sooner or later, however, we will have to face it. At four o'clock in the morning, when we cannot get back to sleep, or when we, like others, will be close to death, like a bad case of heartburn, it will rise up in our throats and remind us that the split is still there, and that, and that we are still unreconciled with God and with our neighbors and even with ourselves. It's an awful word, split. There's one word, however, that blots it out. Reconciliation. Last week, we started our seven-part sermon and four-part teaching series on the mission at Riverside Church, a movement for reconciliation. The best way to define what reconciliation is to start with what it's not. If reconciliation is about coming back together, then what it is not is a split, kriya. Then the reconciliation is about taking all of the tattered fragments and threads and sewing them back into, into a new order, a new creation, God says. Like an ER doctor would sew back the skin of somebody who ran into a wall and split their heads open. It would stop the bleeding. It would bring the two pieces back together with the stitches, but even so, no matter how good the dermatologist, there would always still be scar tissue. You know what I mean? If you've ever been reconciled with a loved one or a friend, there's still something there, probably as there should be, to remind you of the original wound. And if we go inside of us, to that place where our soul rests, that heart of hearts, we will find scar tissue as well, maybe even 
still a fresh and bleeding wound that has yet to be mended. For see, deep down we are split and wounded by so many things. Between the two opposing realities of ourselves, both good on one hand and not so good on the other, both that part of us that is so human and yet so divine, we are both rational and emotional, we're courageous and we are afraid. The polarities are endless. We look back on our lives and we see places that yearn for reconciliation louder than the loudest shout. And the deeper we go, the closer we come to that original split, our relationship with God, the breath blowing in us, blowing us toward reconciliation. And in the meantime, as we go through life, most of us are still hiding behind the trees, behind clerical robes, or hiding in church, or hiding behind our jobs, or our motherhood, or our relationships. Across the board, we are all in some way hiding ourselves from our God and from each other. Because you see, all of us deep down know how separated we are and how far we are from home. I picked the title of this sermon from a gospel hymn that the slaves would sing, expressing their broken-hearted awareness of their alienation, how far from home they were. Sometimes I feel like a motherless child. And let me say immediately that A slave's experience in this way is way far deeper than anything any of us have experienced. Theirs was not just existential separation and split, but kriya in every possible meaning of the word, brutal and evil, splitting of families, tearing them from their homeland, their lives, and shipping them over in boats to be sold to rich white landowners It is a possibility, a reality we cannot even imagine. When they sang, I feel like a motherless child, a long way from home, they were singing of the profound grief and loss few of us can understand. But there are others, too. The Jews can sing this song, exiled and enslaved by the Babylonians 2,500 years ago and over and over again through history, spiking at the Holocaust. And the Palestinians can sing this song, displaced as they are by those same Jews from the land that they had inhabited for thousands of years. Orphans can sing this song, feeling on some level disconnected from their roots, even when they may have been adopted by families who are wonderful, loving, and amazing. The poor can sing it. The outcast can sing it. The ill and diseased can sing it. The persecuted can sing it. Exiles and immigrants can sing it. Anybody who is diminished because of their skin color, their gender, their sexuality, or their religion can sing this song. And even we can sing it. We in our 
wonderful life of privilege can sing it because deep down at the very deepest part of ourselves, we too are a long way from home. East of Eden, separated from God, each other and ourselves, separated from creation, hiding behind our fig leaves of pride and pretense and ego, swimming around in the deep ocean of our self-loathing, where the truth of who we are flounders around looking for the source of whose we are, looking for home and searching for our way back. Reconciliation. And all the while, God is searching for us. Where are you? waiting for us to come up out of our underwater caves to step out from behind our protecting trees to uncover the facade of power and strength and goodness and religion that we cover ourselves with and to step out in vulnerable need and longing to let God embrace us. He's searching for us. We, where we are most vulnerable, lost and afraid, empty and homesick, to show us that in spite of it all, no matter how far we are from home or no matter what we have done to make ourselves alienated from God and others, or no matter how lost we are to search for us, simply to embrace us with open arms and claim to us that we, we are God's children and that I can't find my way home unless everybody else finds their way home too. It's the one thing that we all have in common. It is our common bond, our humanity together. And the one thing that will hold us together as human beings is that we are all searching for God. once upon a time was and ever shall be. And so we're invited to this table of reconciliation, of communion, where Jesus gathered with his disciples who he knew would be alienated and lost after his death and gave them the very essence of that love and reconciliation through the bread and through the cup. And all of us who seek that reconciliation with God, each other, and ourselves, reconciliation between all peoples, are invited to this table to eat of the bread and the wine of Christ's love. Amen.